And so, church family online and in this room, would you pray with me? Let me just ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see Jesus today. For if we see him for who he is and what he offers, I believe we will need nothing else. For, comes, for, for what comes from you is life, forgiveness, salvation, and all that we need for our earthly needs. So please, Lord, help us to see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. When you get to the end of your life, will you want to look back and have this statement? Well, that was a waste. Now, hopefully, if you get to the end of your life, you're not going to say the whole thing was a waste, but maybe you'll have some wisdom over what things were a waste and what things were not a waste. The reason this is so important is because I don't think any of us likes wasting time or energy or money. For example, this was confirmed to me this week, Amazing Love was a polling place, and we became Facebook famous in Frankfurt. Why? Because we had no lines, and people who did not want to waste their time said, let's go to Amazing Love, time to vote. Or you think of what it is uh, to waste money, maybe with a cell phone, and you forgot that it was in your pocket and you jump into a pool, Oh. It falls, and now you have to uh, deal with a cracked screen, wondering, should I pay like $300 to repair it, or should I just live with kind of the fuzzy text? Ugh, horrible feeling. I hate wasting money. Or wasting energy and time. If you've ever studied for something and you didn't read the directions carefully, and now two hours later you did the completely wrong project, or you put energy and passion, and now you're moving in a different direction, and you have nothing to show for it, Ah, You know, I read a great book called Don't Waste Your Life by a pastor, John Piper. And in it, he said this, Desire that your life count for something. Long for your life to have eternal significance. Want this. Don't coast through life without a passion. And is there anyone here today who wants that? Who doesn't want to waste their time? Who doesn't want to say that was a waste? You know, there's a group of people, the millennials, that are really about this. As you study the different generations, they want to work for companies and they want to support businesses that not only make a great product, but make a great difference. In fact, some have labeled them the purpose generation. Now, let me share with you a study. Uh, in a recent survey, 63 of millennials said that the primary purpose of businesses should be improving society instead of generating profit. A study from the Society of Human Resource Management tells us that 94% of millennials want to use their skills to benefit a cause. Now, you don't have to be a millennial to want to make a difference or to improve society. But I think the question remains, which ways are really going to improve society? And what are the benefits that we should be after? How, how do we know it won't be a waste? And so, a first takeaway... I think the way to make sure you're not wasting your life is carefully defining what has lasting value and what does not. As you look over from a perspective point of view on your life, what have you found has lasting value and what have you found does not have lasting value? For me, can I tell you one thing that I've noticed more and more and I don't think it's going away? 
It's something that as a pastor I throw around, I toss around. I have this idea that love matters. That love, regardless of if they reciprocated, love, regardless if it made an impact visually to you or not, love has a way of mattering. Have you ever found that? You remember when people went out of their way and did a kindness for you. You remember when someone uh, shared an appropriate, encouraging word and, and the impact that had, even if you didn't tell them about it, love matters. I was watching one of my Facebook friends and they were wearing this t-shirt that said, be the reason someone feels loved, seen, welcomed, heard, valued, appreciated, respected. In fact, that's always uh, one of our goals as a church. You know, uh, we are imperfect people. We want you to know that. We are, we are sinners and we carry around the same sinful nature as anyone else. But we want to do our very best so that when you come here or when we represent Jesus, you just feel loved and seen and heard and respected. And the church has a great opportunity to do that. It reminds me of what Paul said about love in 1 Corinthians. You know, the greatest of these is love. So that's something of lasting value. But what have you found does not have lasting value? I, I wish I could give you the microphone. Do you know I was a gamer? I, I played a lot of NES. And I'm still waiting on my certificate of when I saved the princess. I never got one. No, no one's ever given me any recognition for how good I was at NFL football and college football. I mean, I made the UTEP Miners national championship uh, contenders. It was incredible. A lot of hard work went into it. No one's recognized it. I tell you what. What have you found? Binging is popular, right? You ever been on the other side of a binge of a, a series and been like, I am just more tired and why is it one o'clock? And I'm not sure I gained any good information, but wow, okay. Right? You're never going to get a good certificate. Binge the most series on Netflix. Well, way to go. Wow. <laughs> should put that on LinkedIn. There's so much waste, isn't there? When it comes to time on social media, when it comes to pursuing the latest fashion, uh, some people spend their whole time remodeling a kitchen that by the time they complete it, it's no longer in vogue. What's up with that? That's why I love being in this place. Because we have a word from God. And what God can do through his word is he can give us true wisdom. Now, we're starting this series called Thankful because Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And I want to let you know that if you are a Christian or if you're new to this place, especially if you're not a Christian, the biggest thing we want you to see is reason for thanks in Jesus. That, that's, that's the biggest thing we have for you uh, today. Because here's the story of God. When it comes to our salvation, Jesus does everything. Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live. Jesus died on the cross paying for our punishment, so we don't worry about being punished by God. That was paid on the cross. Jesus rises from death to assure us we have eternal life, and salvation is completely by him. Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves, a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. You can't add to your salvation. You can't take away from your salvation. So then what might you be able to give to God? The simple answer, and why do we spend three, three weeks on thanks? Because the only thing you can give him is thanks. 
That's the only thing you can do on the other side of all his completed work on your behalf. The only thing you can do is offer your your life, your time, your, your money out of thanks to God. That's it. That's all we got. But let's do it well. Let's be the people where God looks down and says, man, they are full. They are full of thanks by how they live and how they speak and what they're pursuing. Let's be known for that. And that's what makes our topic today so important. Because I believe that if you don't have a heart that is content, it's going to be very hard to offer God some thanks. In fact, if you don't have a heart that is content, you might be about things that will end up being a waste of time. You know, uh, what we have today in the Word of God is one of my absolute favorite books. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. I had to laugh because we were with the young people and they were writing it down and they were saying, do I have to spell this right? It's really hard to spell, by the way. Uh, But it's a phenomenal book. And, And it's phenomenal because Solomon, who asked for wisdom, was given wisdom by God. And he's looking back at the end of his life, and and he's recognizing all the things that didn't matter. In fact, there is a theme to the book of Ecclesiastes. You could sum up the book in one word, that when Solomon looked at this life without God, he said, it is meaningless. In fact, the Hebrew word was vanity or breath without God. And today, as we hear from him, one of the most wealthy people who ever lived. He says, worldly wealth and the pursuit thereof, guess what it is without God? Meaningless. And so we get to get true wisdom from his voice. And I'm going to invite you, if you're here, to please stand. We do that in honor of the fact that God is speaking to us through the word. And so our our lesson comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Here it says, If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. (laughs) I love this. Did I tell you this this book gives perspective? Because we are so like shocked by oppression and we're shocked by corruption. And and Solomon's like, you know what? When there's money, don't be shocked by corruption. Yep, people have been always doing that. Um, For one official is eyed by a higher one and over them both are higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all and the king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And this, too, is meaningless, vanity, a breath. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. I was thinking, he he didn't have America in mind, but you might know how good of consumers we are, how much of the world's goods that we consume, and yet we're still not satisfied. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, Whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands, and this too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what do they gain since they toil for the wind? (laughs) That's an interesting phrase. You're toiling for the wind. Good luck grabbing onto it. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Perspective. Here we go. This is what I've observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction 
in their toilsome labor under the sun. During the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. I think this last statement sums up a contented person, right? That they are so um, contented because God has given them that gift. Well, as we consider these powerful words, before you sit down, could you just say out louder to your neighbor, you can't take it with you. Thank you so much. Please be seated. There haven't been a lot of reasons to rejoice over this COVID era. Uh, there's been a lot of difficulties, and I recognize that. But maybe collectively one reason to rejoice is that we don't have to worry about Black Friday madness. Right? Maybe? Uh, there won't be people saying, you know, my Thanksgiving meal has to be at such and such a time, or could you hurry up and serve the pumpkin pie because JCPenney is opening at 5, right? Um, th- this is good stuff. And it's gotten ridiculous. People who have trampled others, waiting not for the gate to open, for a $200 TV, which, by the way, is usually an off-brand that they're trying to get rid of because it breaks really soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or a $10 blanket. That's just me. Like, wow, I woke up really early for this $10 thing that I didn't need, but it used to be 50 All right. And it's interesting because while they're not having Black Friday, you know, on, on that day, they, they maybe, you've noticed, are having it now. And, and what's really interesting about me this week is that there's nothing that I wanted when it came to Black Friday. And yet I'm still intrigued. What's up with that? So I'm basically admitting to you, I have nothing that I, I think I, I know I want, and yet there's a part of me that says, but I don't want to wis- miss out, right? I have all that I need, but what could I be missing? It, it's the fear of better options, right? And this is so prevalent in our society. I, I see heads nodding, so you're like me, right? And, and we know what it is to be drawn in by a business closing. Maybe I'll get something really good. Or drawn in when I hear there's a really good sale over there, right? Solomon put his, his thumb on that feeling. And he said this. He says, you know what, what's happening? Whoever loves money never has enough. It reminds me of Black Friday, and I have all that I need. I don't even know what I want, and yet I am thinking about what I, I could be missing out on. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income, and this too is meaningless. Now, now before I offend unnecessarily, let me tell you this. It's not a sin to have money. Otherwise, we as Americans would be more sinful than most. It is not even a sin to want a a better blanket or whatever. What a sin is, though, and and what what we're going today is if our hearts love it more than God. Because when this happens, the activity is kind of like this. It's kind of like going to a buffet. And I remember going to OCB back in the day. And you would have, you know, six plates of dinner, and then you still have room for ice cream. And, and when you have a love of money, you have all that you need and then some, and your closets are full, and yet you still keep going back saying, but maybe there's something else. And just recognize that for what it is. In fact, one of the most wealthy people who ever lived, uh, named John Rockefeller, uh, he was an oil and gas tycoon. At one time, he owned uh, 1% of the whole U.S. economy, a billionaire back in the day when that was a big thing. Um, uh, he was once asked, how much money is enough? 
You know his answer? Just a little bit more. Isn't that the, the, the way that, that we're accustomed to living and accustomed to seeing our culture act? And yet this is not the way of contentment. And so one warning, that without contentment, there is no satisfaction. If we don't get what's on the other side of the lesson today, it's like you're going to have a never-lending list that once you cross off one thing, then the next thing pops up and other things go on the bottom. And that list is ever-evolving and you will be doing this rat race of conquering a list that is never conquered. Watch out. But there's another warning that Scripture has for us when it comes to a lack of contentment. And here I want to know, have you ever purchased something that was so valuable that you were uptight on how it was treated. So valuable that you were worried if it would get broken or lost or stolen. Yeah? You been there? For many people, it was their first car. You remember your first car? And so you wash it and you wax it. You might even give it a name or call it baby, right? And that car is so important that, that, that you get some anxiety over it. The, the classic case of this was Ferris Bueller. And you remember this car? And Cameron said about this car, his dad loved it more than life itself. And when Ferris is doing that, can you hear the squeak in the movie? Because he had polished that baby and he wipes it with a diaper, right? This is that car. And that car was of no benefit to the owner or to the family. Cameron knew his dad loved his car more than he loved him. Right? And so when they took it out, there's this rush of adrenaline uh, because it was so valuable, and they knew that dad had idolized this car. And so Solomon speaks, and he says this, The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat or literal or much, but the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. They're, they're thinking about their stuff. Is it going to get lost? Is it going to get broken? Is it going to get stolen? Ah, ah, ah. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. And sometimes in order to get extra, it means you work extra, and that's another cycle. And, and now I'm working extra to get extra, and it's this, this spinning wheel of more and more and more and chasing after the wind. It's interesting. I had this feeling recently because we bought a new car. And, um, and it didn't last too long, but I remember pulling in uh, first day owning it, and, and I was in a small parking lot, and this huge SUV comes into the parking lot. There's not even room for it. And instead of, like, pulling in regularly, they decide to back up right by my car. And I'm, I'm sitting at Starbucks, I'm watching this happen, and I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for them to ding the car. You been there? And that's what it's like when, when, when we prioritize the, the riches and the things more than God. Now, thankfully, I, I've parked many places since then. I'm doing okay. But, but, but you know what it's like, right? All right, one more warning before we get to it. And the last warning is something that I had you say, which is you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Um, I was doing some research, and I found um, Alexander the Great, had two wishes um, as he was about to die. Um, he, was, um, he was one of the greatest world leaders. And one of his wishes is that on the way to his coffin, where they would place him and bury him, 
He wanted people to take all of his wealth, his, his gold and his silver, his gems, he wanted to, to put it all along the path on the way to his coffin. And the reason he wanted this is to tell everyone the lesson that he learned, that the pursuit of worldly wealth is meaningless. In fact, this is what he said, I spent my whole life pursuing wealth, but I was wasting my time most of the time. This from not even a renowned Christian. The other thing that he wanted them to do is he wanted them to bury him with open hands. Open hands. And the reason he had this wish was to declare to everyone that he is dying, he is leaving this world on the same level as a peasant. On the same level as one who has nothing. There is no distinction. And the lesson he was trying to prove there is again what Solomon said, that you can't take it with you. Solomon's words. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and everyone, as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Another verse says, we just carry the wind, which you can't hold on to. But then you think of what people are after. I had a neighbor who had a great Cubs memorabilia collection in his basement. Bats and signed jerseys and, and baseballs. And I mean, this thing was remarkable. But after he passes, what does it mean? Have you ever, and not to be morbid, after the funeral of a loved one, have you ever been at the house in order to sort through the belongings? Has anyone ever done that? Uh, maybe a, a, a grandparent, may, maybe a parent. And it becomes this moment where you recognize what truly matters. Because it's not the stuff. In fact, this happened recently to my grandfather, and some of you know my grandfather was called to heaven in August, and so we had that gathering at his house. And there was this collective feeling, even though he had some incredible World War II memorabilia and some other things, it didn't matter what we got. It might be neat in some ways, like uh, what I grabbed was this German uh, version of Come Lord Jesus. So if you've ever prayed, Come Lord Jesus, be our guest, I, I got it in German for my grandfather. But you know what's more important than this plaque? Him! Way more important. I'm not looking down at his stuff. I'm just saying it, it didn't really matter. The lasting legacy was his life, not his possessions. And so what is God teaching us? Without contentment, there's no perspective over possessions. That someone's going to come after your funeral, sort through your stuff, sell it, give it away, distribute it, and not even care. And so, how do we gain contentment? How do we gain contentment? If without contentment there is no peace, which is the other one, or no perspective, what I'd permit to you is that contentment has nothing to do with what's in your bank account. Contentment has nothing to do with the status of your 401k. Contentment has nothing to do with what's in your garage or in your house or your house itself. And contentment has everything to do with what's in your heart. Why does a church talk about money? Because it's a heart issue. 
You know, Jesus, he said it this way. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What God knows and what we know is there's only one top spot in our heart and our priorities, in the way that we live. And we will either pursue God over all, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that he gives everything else as well, or we will seek after the world. We will seek after riches and what riches can buy. And they can't be both on dual allegiance. One will prioritize the other. But what's the state of things? What if it was common in our culture for us to pursue God with as much passion and wisdom and vigor as we pursue worldly wealth? What if people were as concerned talking to their pastor about their spiritual plan, their spiritual journey, as they were as concerned talking about their financial advisor over the money they would have for retirement? Do you see this dichotomy that's going on? We are tempted to miss it. You and I are tempted by what Solomon warned us over. And so let me reveal to you, you want something of lasting value? His name is Jesus. And he is the truest treasure that this world has to offer. Because it is Jesus, not money who assures you your needs will be met. That's Jesus, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Because it is Jesus, not money, that will allow you to have peace over the future, over your finances, over your job. More than that. Come with me higher. It is Jesus, not money, that paid the penalty of our sins. Peter said it was not with gold or silver that you were redeemed, but the precious blood of Jesus that has given us forgiveness for all of our sins. And it is Jesus, not money, that creates the best plan in the future for you. And I'm not talking about your retirement. By the way, he's got that too. I'm talking about eternal life. Jesus, not money, is in control of that. Dear friends online, dear friends in this community, Jesus is superior to every other thing. May the Spirit give you eyes to see it. A little bit more on the dichotomy, though. Imagine if at Amazing Love, we were able to guarantee that everyone who comes here would become an instant millionaire. Can can you imagine that? I think people would know the name of Amazing Love. I think it'd be easy, actually, to invite your friends, right? Right? Um, let's have that as outreach. You know, you come here, a millionaire, boom, right, all right. But now, I'm not trying to be holier than thou. I'm not trying to be anything other than what the word of God shares and reveals. Go with me to a higher place. Do we not carry something better than a million dollars? Yes or no? We have the savior of the world. The truest treasure, when that million is spent and and, and people have, have burned through it, we have someone of lasting value. And it is yours and it is mine. And he is with you. And so how do we gain contentment? You gain it by seeing in Jesus the only riches you need. In fact, Jesus, he told this parable, it was so great. He, He says, once there was a man who saw a treasure in the field. And what he did with everything else in his life is he sold it. 
He sold everything else in his life, and he made sure that he had that field and that treasure. And that is the picture of a Christian seeing this rightly through the eyes of faith. Jesus, you can have my car, you can have my house, you can have my clothes. It doesn't matter, because if I have you, I have what I need. You're rich, friends. You got Jesus. But I think there's more work that God can do in our hearts. More keys to contentment that I want to talk to you about. And one of the verses that I really liked um, was this verse. It's appropriate for a person to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun. During the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Now, a few things that I appreciated. I appreciated that he combined not only satisfaction, but also toilsome labor. Because I I think there's a lie out there that if you find what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I want to have a conversation with the person who's done that. I do. Because what I've seen in the workaday world is sin's corruption. And God said, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. And there will be thorns and thistles. And, and those thorns and thistles today are figurative. But, but I remember even meetings in a men's group. And, and, and we were talking about the, the workaday world. And, and men come to like this midlife crisis where I'm either going to continue to do a work that is burdensome to me or I'm going to switch it. And then I've observed people. And, and yeah, some people continue to do a work that is burdensome and some people switch it just for a different burden. But anyway, that's the, the way of life. But but what does he combine? He says, you know what, it is going to be toilsome, but you can find satisfaction. When God's in it. When you give him the glory. In fact, I love his emphasis on lot. And and, and what does this mean, your, your lot? Here's what I wanted to say out loud that I wrote down. It says, You may not be exactly where you want to be, doing exactly what you want to be doing, with exactly all that you want to have. And yet, in your lot, is there anything good? Let me say it again. You may not be exactly where you want to be, doing exactly what you want to be doing, with exactly all that you want to have, but let me ask you, in your lot, is there anything good? And I bet the answer is yes. I bet in your lot right now, there is something that another person looking on would actually be envious over. If you were really honest. That your lot might contain, take your pick, a relationship, a son or daughter, a modus of health, finances, a possession, an opportunity, a job. I bet if we narrow down and just look at your lot, there would be something good. And the way you gain contentment is you stop the comparison game. And you stop worrying about where you'd want to be and living there. And you stop worrying about what your family member has that is better than yours. And you stop worrying about what your neighbor has. And you stop worrying about the world. And you look at your lot with laser focus and you identify, man, there's good there. We gain contentment by seeing the good in our specific lot. And my lot's going to be different than your lot. And in a sinful way, I could get all uptight over like, why do they have that and I don't? 
Well, you could be doing the same to me. What's better? Saying God has given me something good. I consider just this week. Are people doing well right now as a, in a general statement? People doing well? No, not at all. Can I just be honest? But was there anything good this week? Anything that if I try really hard, I thought was really good. You know what? I really enjoyed the weather. I really, really enjoyed the weather. I thought there were some sunsets and some moons that were so gorgeous that Monet, with all his power, could never do what God just did. Hey, yeah. <laughs> and 70 degrees in November? Are you kidding me? I will take that every day and tomorrow. And yeah, there's a lot of pressures, and yeah, there's a lot of arguments, but when I look at my lot, I see that I am treated better than I deserve. Man, God, you're good to me. Do you know it is a mature Christian who is able to see God's goodness and grace in every season, even the worst ones? To look with laser focus on their lot and say, God, you've still been good to me. You haven't treated me as I deserve. But one final thing. I love this verse that says, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, and the emphasis, who gives it? God does. He not only gives what we have, and you might be saying, yeah, I worked for it. God might have used your work, but it still came from God. I was reading from Luther this past week, and he was comparing Gideon over the Midianites. And yes, God used Gideon to defeat the Midianites, but did God need Gideon? <laughs> not even a little Yes, you might have worked, and yet, did God need you? No, he gives you what you have through the channel of your activity, yes, but it came from his hand. And the ability to enjoy. And so if the ability to enjoy comes from God, then I must seek him if right now I struggle with being contented. Right now, I must love him above all things. I must make sure he has the top spot. I must live out that I should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things that people are running after. He will give. It's going to be all right. Because what we don't want to do is waste our time. What none of us want to do is get to the end of our life and man, did I waste it pursuing what Alexander the Great pursued and Solomon. And so the key here, friends, is to put God into everything. Have money, but put God at the center focus of it. Remember who it came from. Honor him with your wealth. And that goes for every part of your life. Do you want something of lasting value? Put God in everything, and you will see lasting value in everything. Your family, your work your relationships. May God so help you. And now let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the good and gracious gifts you have given. Thank you for family, health, sunshine, food, friends. I could go on and on. But help me to see my truest treasure, Jesus, your Son, Thank you for his cross and resurrection. Thank you for all your precious promises. Thank you for your plans that you will be with me here in a broken world until I am with you there in a perfect one. Grant the gift of contentment and the ability to accept my lot. In Jesus' name, amen.